Well, good morning, everyone. Thank you to the musicians who led us so well for the first part of our meeting. Um, as many of you will know, we've been working through the book of Romans and uh, taking a very short break over the summer, but uh, we're, we're back into it for, I think, three more Sunday mornings with, uh, with a family service next week. So I've got Romans 13 to, uh, to look at. Now, on the face of it, Romans 13 would, uh, would actually seem quite straightforward. You know, it's got a bit about uh, obeying authority. It's got a little bit about love. It's got a, a little call to action at the end. And, uh, and, and, yeah, on the face of it, it would seem quite straightforward. But what I've found as I've been going through it, there, there are actually some challenges within it as well. Now, many people here will know that for the past couple of years I've been going once a month to uh, lead School of Theology and doing a, a bit of a theology course. So, you know, if there's heresy in there, then you can blame them. But, um, but I've found that uh, doing that, and I would strongly recommend, if you want to develop your theology, I'd strongly recommend doing something like that because one of the things that I've found is, you know, I'm, 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 I'm forced to question what it is that I, I, I believe, what it is that I've held true for, for so many years. Is it simply because, like I'm doing now, someone has stood on a platform and said, or is it because I've got before God in prayer and really studied and got into the Word to find out? And I've found that with this passage as well. There are some bits that I've read and I've just thought, oh, well, that's easy, that's straightforward. But then when you really get into to it and you really start to question, you know, what is Paul actually writing here? You, you really do start to, 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 you know, to ask the question, what is it that I really believe? What is it that God is saying to me at this point in time from this passage? The other bit just to say before we get going on this is um, uh, this book was written in the mid-50s AD. Uh, Paul wrote it whilst he was in Greece and, uh, and, and sent it to Rome because he was planning on heading there on his way to Spain. Now, when we're talking about the bit about authority and obeying authority, one of the things to remember or to be aware of is that at the end of, I think, the 40s AD, the Emperor Claudius had actually evicted, sent away all the Jews and all the Jewish Christians from Rome. Uh, because of various issues that had sprung up. He kicked them all out of Rome. And actually, it was only just before Paul wrote this letter that they were actually allowed back in. Uh, and it was the Emperor Nero that opened the door and let them back in again. And for those that know a bit or two about uh, ancient Roman history, that particular relationship went bad very, very quickly as well. So... Yeah, when we're talking a little bit about obeying authority, we've got to remember that some of these guys will actually have lived in Rome. They will have heard the gospel, become Christians, been kicked out of Rome, had to leave their home, had to leave their business, their livelihoods and all the rest of it, and, and, and move into the surrounding area. And they'd only just been allowed back. And here's Paul writing this letter. And the first part of the bit we're going to read today is about obeying authority. So it would have been quite a challenge for some of them. So let's see what it says. So I'm actually going to read through the whole of Romans 13, but in chunks as I go through. Okay? So the first part, Romans 13, 1 to 5, says, Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. 
And those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. When Paul's speaking like this, he's, he is very much saying, you know, basically do as you're told. And, uh, and that raises questions for us. Because what happens if the authorities are telling us to do something that we see clearly in God's word we shouldn't do? And that is something that brothers and sisters across the world are faced with on a, on a regular basis. The authorities might be saying, you shall not meet as a church. There are parts of the world where people aren't allowed to meet. And yet, the church gathers. And it's that thing about, well, how do we, uh, how do we balance this passage here where it's saying, do the right thing, obey the authorities, obey the rules, when at the same time we know that there is a higher authority. But in this passage, we, uh, we, we see that um, it's reminiscent of what Jesus said to Pilate, and we can see that in John 19. And, it's, uh, and Jesus said to Pilate, when Pilate questioned him, Jesus said, you would have no authority over me at all, unless it had been given you from above. So Jesus himself is saying to Pilate, who is the earthly ruler in that place, who was the one who said, yeah, okay, let's crucify him. Jesus is saying, you would have no authority if it wasn't given to you by God. God puts authority in place for orderly kind of living and and, an orderly life to avoid chaos and so on. So we should live right lives. We should follow the kind of the, the, the way that we are expected to live. That seems to be quite clear. And if we do nothing wrong, we have nothing to fear. But like I say, what happens if the authority is telling us to do something that is against God's word? That is against what we know from scripture and what we know God is saying to us that we should do? And like I say, it would be very easy to, um, uh, to, to, to apply this principle and say, right, well, we'll just do as we're told. We won't meet. We won't preach the gospel. We won't go out there and help others. And that's not what God is telling us to do. So I think we've got a structure here. If you read Acts 5, you'll see that the early apostles, they were out, they were preaching the word, they were seeing the sick healed, and the authority of the day, the, you know, the religious rulers in Jerusalem said to them, we commanded you, we strictly charged you not to teach in this name. Yet here, you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than man. So there is a a hierarchy here. We've got Paul saying on the one hand that we should follow the kind of the, the rules, the authority, the law and so on. But we've got the apostles saying we must follow God first rather than man. And I think what we've got here is like I say a hierarchy. 
day to day, we have to follow the, the laws of the land, whether we like them or not, we have to follow them. But if that law tells us to defy God, if that law tells us to do something that clearly in Scripture would not be the right thing to do, then we have to put God's word first. And we have to follow his example. We have to follow what Jesus told us to do. So we stand with our brothers and sisters who are around the world who maybe at this point in time are actually risking their lives by gathering in the nations where they're told you shall not gather. Or in countries where they're told you shall not preach the gospel openly and they're going out and they're telling people, they're telling their neighbours, they're telling their friends, they're telling their work colleagues that Jesus is Lord. We stand with them because they are following a higher law. They're following God's law to make his name known to the world. So when it comes to the authority, we place God's rule first and then we follow the rules of the, of, of the world around us. Now this bit in Romans 13 has used over the, t- over the, over the years in history to, to kind of encourage the church into a very submissive, a, a, a very much uh, do not stand up for, you know, for, for right, do not get involved, do not, and, and we end up in a, in, in a, with a weak church, we end up with a church that doesn't stand up for righteousness, that doesn't tell when, when things are happening that, uh, that shouldn't be happening. And what we can get, end up with if we just apply this, this verse is we can end up with a situation where we allow wrongdoing to take place. So let's, as a church, stand up for God's rule. Let's stand up for righteousness. Let's preach the gospel. Let's stand up for the downtrodden. Let's get involved when we see things that are clearly wrong happening and taking place. Let's, as a church, be a voice for good. Let's be a voice for what is right and proper. And let's proclaim scripture into the world around us. I think the other part of this is in 1 Timothy 2, it does say about praying for our leaders. And whether you are left of the political spectrum, central, right, whatever your political leanings you know, it is right and proper that we pray for our leaders. You know, Theresa May in the government, it's right and proper that we pray for her and what they're dealing with. It's right and proper that we pray about the whole issue surrounding Brexit. Because these leaders, these, this authority has been put in place by God. And it is our place to follow what they say unless it contravenes God's word but also it's our place to pray for them, even if we voted the other way. It's interesting, the little bit at the end of verse 5, where it says, um, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. When I was young, I remember people often talked about conscience. They described it as, uh, as like having a cube within you. And if ever you did something wrong, that cube would kind of turn and it would rub against you and that would be the feeling that you got inside when you know that you're doing something wrong. But over time, if we, uh, if we don't follow, if we, if we don't live right lives, over time it's almost as if that cube can get the edges knocked off. 
And we, we, over time, we don't feel that, uh, that pang of, uh, of conscience anymore. And there have been many times when I've had to go back to God and say, actually, you know, I've, 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 I've been doing little things here which have been wrong. I've been doing little things that, uh, that, that haven't been glorifying your name. I've been doing little things that, that aren't in keeping with your word. And uh, Lord, I need you to heal my conscience. I need you to give me that conscience back. When it comes to conscience, it's very easy if we... Uh, to, to, like I say, to do little things wrong. So if we drive at 75 miles an hour down the motorway, and we always drive at 75 miles down the, the motorway, even though the speed limit is 70, if we're in a hurry, it becomes very easy to say, well, we'll drive at 80. And that becomes 85. And suddenly we are living outside of the authority, the rule that is, that is, that is over us as part of uh, being in this land. Another one that, uh, just, to, just to mention, I, I do a lot of travelling now. And I do a lot on the train, you know, going from Durham. And I've, I've, uh, I've, I've parked the car at the, at the train station. And then you get on the train, you, you do what you're doing, then you come back, you get the car and you go. And there have been several times when I've got back into Durham in the evening and the car park barrier has been up. And in fact, one time I was, uh, I got off the train and I went to pay for my car parking and there was a taxi driver standing there telling everyone who was paying for their ticket, the barrier's up, you don't need to pay, just drive out, it's fine, it's, the barrier's up, it's not a problem. In fact, he then started being quite rude to people who were paying and actually being quite insulting to them. And I'm thinking, we, we don't pay because there's a barrier. You know, we pay because we've used the service of the car park. And it's those little things that we can actually, um, you know, just over time, if we, if we do the little things and we say, well, we'll drive a bit too fast, or well, the barrier's up, so we, we won't pay for the car park. Okay? It's those little things that impact on our conscience. It's those little things. No, you know, no one here is out doing big crimes or anything like that. But it's the little things that we sometimes have to challenge ourselves on. And certainly I have to challenge myself on. Because I have been known, Sally will testify, to drive a little bit too fast. I have been known to get stopped and told off for doing such things. And it's so easy to fall into this trap. But the authority of the land, the rule of the land, is there for a reason. And Paul is here saying quite clearly... Obey the rules of the land. And then if we take the bit from Acts, unless it should prompt us to defy God. Okay? Verse 6 carries on with a financial theme. Talking about paying taxes, revenue, respect and honour. It says this, For because of this, you also pay taxes. For the authorities are ministers of God, attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed. Revenue to whom revenue is owed. Respect to whom respect is owed. Honour to whom honour is owed. And no one likes paying taxes. I run a small business and uh, every year I have to, you know, well... Anne, where are you, Anne? Anne's my, Anne's my accountant. Right, does a great job. Um, Anne works through my accounts and tells me how much I've got to pay. And uh, no one likes paying taxes. And I'm no different to anyone else. 
But it is right and proper that we do pay what we owe. And when Jesus was asked about this, and we see in Luke 20, the scribes and the chief priests asked him, Teacher, we know that you speak and teach rightly and show no partiality, but truly teach the way of God. Is it lawful for us to give tribute to Caesar or not? But he perceived their craftiness and said to them, Show me a denarius. Whose likeness and inscription does it have? And they said, Caesar's. He said to them, then render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. Give to Caesar what is Caesar and give to God what is God's. So when it comes to paying taxes, we, we have to do it because it allows the authorities to work, it allows the rules to be a, a, you know, applied and all the rest of it. No one likes to but it's there for a reason. Now, I mentioned Anne doing my books. I'm going to mention her again. Um, and, uh, you know, like I say, no one likes paying taxes. I, I run a small business, so I want to reduce my tax burden. And so there have been several times over the years when I've said to Anne, I've said, can I claim this against tax? And you can almost hear the Captain Mannerin in the response, you stupid boy. You, you, you. We, you know, no one wants to pay too much, but it is right and proper. And so there is a challenge here to us. You know, most of us, if we, if we just, you know, if we, if we work and we do pay out, pay AYE, you know, we don't really get a say in it. It just happens. But for some, let's pay what we owe and let's not take that risk of saying, well, if I claim this or if I claim that and claim the other for the sake of a few quid and then cross the lines and actually start um, you know, not paying what we, what we owe, what is due. Verse 8 goes on and it says, owe no one anything. Now this is quite a challenge to us in today's society because we were all, many of us, have, have debts of some sort. Maybe it's the mortgage, maybe it's a car loan, maybe it's a credit card. There are very, very few who are in the fortunate position of owing nothing. So how do we reconcile this bit here, verse 8, owe no one anything, with the fact that in today's society, that's kind of how it is. You know, very, very few people could afford to buy a house if they didn't take out a mortgage. You could rent, and there are people here who rent. So you could rent a house uh, and be mortgage-free and not have any debt that way. But there is a financial prudence in terms of having a property, having something that in later years you can sell so that when you're no longer able to work, you can live off what you've made through the house. Or it might be that you sell your house and you use that collateral to get kids started on the, on, you know, on, in, in their lives. You know, pay for some of their needs as they're going into the, into the world of work and into life and so on. Some people have even sold their houses or remortgaged or taken the collateral out of their house in order to fund mission. Yeah, God has challenged them and said, you know, I want you to, you know, fund this mission to India or fund this mission to Africa. And they said, right, well, I'll take a bit of collateral out of the house and I'll, I'll use that. All these things are good. But how do we reconcile this whole thing with owe no one anything? Now, it's very easy when, and this 
again, coming back to the theology course, it's very easy when we're, when we're looking at Scripture to apply a very literal black and white. That line there would say, have no debt, have no mortgage, have no car loan, or whatever it might be. Um, like I say, one of the things that I've had to do as I've gone on the course is I've had to challenge and look at principles in Scripture rather than just the, 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 the little black and white. But there is a risk with that as well. Because if we start, you know, kind of being very flexible and fluid with Scripture, then we can end up being very liberal and just say anything goes. And that's, that's equally as dangerous. So we've got to really engage with Scripture. We've got to really go through Scripture and actually really, you know, look at what is the theme. What is it actually saying across the whole? Not just take the four words of, oh, no one anything, but what is Scripture saying? to us. So I went into the, uh, the Greek. They encourage you to do that. Um, I know no Greek, but they encourage us to, to go into the Greek. So I did that. I thought, well, well I'm going to have a look. What does this word owe? What is it in the Greek and, and how else can it be interpreted? So I went and had a look and it's a philo, um, which can also be translated as obligation. And that really helped me when I was thinking about this passage. Because what we're talking about, if we use the word obligation, is almost, uh, am I obliged to live in a certain way because of my debt? Which then really does open the door to, uh, to understanding, or certainly it did for me. So let me give you an example. When... Um, you know, when I look at, look at our finances, Sally and my finances, you know, it would be very easy to say to ourselves, well, you know, boys are getting bigger, we want a bigger house. Okay? Want, you know, bigger house, you know, I'm happy with the location, but, you know, maybe we want it to be detached because we're aware that the boys make too much noise and disturbing the neighbours, or maybe it's the other way around. Um, want a bigger garden or, or something like this. But what that would do is that would increase the mortgage. And that may then oblige me to work more. It may oblige Sally to work more and do less in terms of church. So, you know, Sally will often meet up with people and I'll meet up with people. And, you know, we, 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 we're able to do that. But if we had a bigger house, just for the sake of having a bigger house, then it might oblige us to live in a certain way. And I think that's what this is talking about. It's not just talking about, oh, no one, anything. It's not being quite so black and white. But in today's society, it's about, are we forced to live in a certain way in order to manage our debt? Psalm 37 says, The wicked borrow, but do not pay back but the righteous are generous and give. I think we should, we should be in a position when we're talking about debt to be able to manage that debt, to be able to service that debt. We should be able to pay it back. So if God were to call us, he hasn't, but if God were to call us to move to Africa, then we could sell the house, we could take the collateral, we could use that to get on a boat or a plane or whatever, ship all our stuff over to Africa and then get settled in a new property over there and to live off that for a little period of time. But if my debt was such that if that call of God came, 
I would, I, my debt was so big. If my debt was such that I had to say to God, I'm sorry, but I cannot follow your call because I cannot pay off my debt, then I think that is where we are living in a certain way according to our debt rather than having a manageable debt. Do you see what I'm getting at? So when it comes to, to debt, mortgage, car loan, can I encourage you to be in a position where you can service, you can manage that debt? Okay? There are always challenges to that. I'm not unsympathetic to the fact that some people, a few years ago, when the market went all haywire, ended up in negative equity. I'm not unsympathetic to the fact that young people today find it incredibly difficult to get started with a property or in, because of you know, the price of property compared to what you earn. You know, I'm not unsympathetic to these things. And also, I'm not unsympathetic to the fact that some of us, and myself included, just after I asked Sally when we got married, um, some of us, through the decisions we've made, actually do have debt. And I had debt. I also had a big TV. But I had debt. <laughs> and uh, we, we, we've had to manage that. We've had to work that. And now that's gone, which is nice. I mean, you know, after 14, how long have we been married? 14. 13. <laughs> 14 years, 13 years. <laughs> nearly 14 years. I was nearly right. Um, you know, we're in a, yeah, we're, that's all sorted. But I'm not unsympathetic to the fact that there are challenges. But can I encourage you, as much as possible, live with a, certain, live with, uh, a level of debt that you can easily manage, that you can service. Okay? It's very easy in today's world with Facebook and Instagram and all the rest of it to, to see that nice big house or to see the, the big TV being advertised or the flash car or whatever it might be and to say, well, I want that because of what it will give me. I want that because of the status. I want that. It's only stuff. So when I lost my job four years ago, we had to give up quite a lot of stuff. Give up gym memberships. Sky TV. It's not a great loss. It's, it's just stuff. Okay? Whatever is eternal, these are the things we should put our finances in. Now, um, just as they say at the end of certain TV programs, if anything that has, you have, you've heard over the past uh, couple of minutes has caused you upset or anxiety, then we do have a pastoral team, a very, very good pastoral team that you can talk to about it. I wouldn't want anyone leaving here feeling guilty or uh, condemned. There is no condemnation. In God, there is grace and there is love and there is mercy. So if you're sitting there thinking, actually, that, that's really quite difficult and I, I don't know how to manage my finances. If you're waking up in the morning thinking, oh, I've got this debt. If you're going to sleep and trying to sleep but can't sleep because of debt, then can I encourage you, speak to our pastoral team. We have an excellent pastoral team and they will be more than happy to point you in the right direction. But also we work as a church and we have people here who work, as a church, who work with Durham Christian Partnership. And they have a money advice centre. And they can sit down with you and really talk through your finances. And, uh, and again, there's no condemnation. There should be no guilt or anything like that. They'll sit with you and work through with you and help you. So I am going to ask, if they're here, if you're on the pastoral team, 
or if you work for Durham Christian Partnership, could you just stand up for a minute, please? So that, you know, we can see who these people are. Because I just want to, first of all, acknowledge all that they do for us. But also, I just want to say, look, if you are sitting there and you're a little bit concerned about the financial stuff, then please do seek out one of these one of these guys, and they will be more than happy to talk to you or point you in the right direction. Thank you. Moving on. Romans 13, 8-10 says, Owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, shall, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not cover. And any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbour as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbour. Therefore, love is fulfilling the law. The only debt that we should really have is to love one another. As the one who loves has fulfilled the law, there can never be too much love. What was it John Lennon said? All you need is love. (laughs) There can never be too much love. Putting one another's needs before our own. We can have all sorts of outreach strategies. You will notice on your chairs, we've got Alpha coming up. And uh, in a month's time, we'll be starting the new Alpha course. And I would encourage you to think about who you're going to bring. Take a leaflet. There are leaflets out there, leaflets on your chairs. Think about who you're going to bring. Pray, invite them along. We can have the greatest outreach strategies in the world, though. But if we do not show love to one another, then it's, what's the point? The greatest outreach that we can do is to show the world that Jesus loves us, we love one another, and we love Jesus. There will be people sitting here today who might feel unloved. And that's devastating. There could be people sitting here today who have come in this morning and go home, they have a cup of coffee, they hear me, have a good time of worship, they hear me, I'm not sure, but they're feeling unloved because actually no one has engaged with them, no one has spoken to them, and I, I, you know, it might only be one or two, but that breaks my heart. So if I can challenge you this morning, how are we showing love to one another? It could be in a simple word, it could be in a you know, an acknowledgement of how are you doing. It could be in an invite to meet up for coffee. But how are we showing that love to one another? And I really want to encourage you today to seek out the people who maybe are sitting on their own or who, who perhaps just walk in, grab a coffee, worship God, and then go again but perhaps without interacting, really do seek them out and show that love to them. Because we all need that love at times. Jesus said, A new commandment I give you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also to love one another. By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. That's in John We finish this passage in Romans 13 with what in business terms would be called a call to action. You can read it as, I've just changed the 
order the words slightly, but you can read it as, cast off the works of darkness and put on the armour of light. Cast off wrongdoing and walk properly as in daytime. Cast off the flesh and its desires and put on the Lord Jesus Christ. The day of our Lord's return is nearer now than when we first believed. Just think about that for a minute. The day when the Lord comes back is nearer now than when we first believed in him. Jesus is returning to claim his bride. Will we be ready? Or will we be like the virgins in the parable that's in Matthew 25, whose light had gone out, and when the bridegroom arrived, they were scrabbling around trying to find some oil instead of being ready to greet him at the door. Jesus is returning. Are we living ready? Are we living expecting that? Or are we just kind of getting on with life? And that, for me, has been a real challenge. I'm going to invite the band to come back up again. But, just to finish, this passage is a challenge to live right before God and man. And my challenge to each of us, myself included, does my life today reflect the fact that the Lord is returning? Or am I living without thought of that? Kind of a bit oblivious to the fact that there are people out there living in darkness who don't yet know him. There is much in scripture about being prepared for his coming. Because we don't know the day, we don't know the hour, but we do need to be prepared for it. When I go, either to meet him, or when I die, if that happens before he comes again, I want him to say, well done good and faithful servant. So as we go from here, can I encourage you just to spend some time reflecting on this passage? And let's each of us ask ourselves, am I living in submission to authority except where that might cause me to sin? Am I paying what I owe to those to whom I owe it? Am I obligated to others financially in such a way that my response to the call of God on my life might be hindered? Am I living a life of love towards others? And finally, am I living life as if Jesus is going to return today? Some quite hard, challenging questions there that I need to ask myself, but I would encourage you to do the same. And, like I say, if, especially with the bit on debt, if, there, if, you know, if that has been a challenge to you and you're actually quite anxious about it, please do seek out one of the pastoral team because they'll be more than happy to, to talk you through it or point you in the direction of those that can help. Okay, I'm going to hand back to Ryan. Thank you.